Well, hey, it is good to see each of you. Uh, we, are, we are coming to a close in our series in Advent. Everyone say Advent. Coming to a close in the series. We, we picked this up a few weeks ago talking about how Jesus is hope. Everyone say hope. Shh. Quiet down. Yeah, there we go. So we talked about how Jesus is hope. And then and the, following week, the following week we talked about how Jesus is peace. Everyone say Jesus is peace. And, and this, this evening we're going to jump in to the fact that Jesus is joy. Everyone say joy. Look at your neighbor with a nice smile and say joy. There we go. There we go. If you're taking, if you're taking notes, I want you to write down our God statement today is Jesus is joy. Jesus is joy. Go ahead and write that down. On Sunday we'll hit talking about how Jesus is love. That is the fourth theme of Advent that will start on Sunday. But today I want to talk about how Jesus is joy. Can any of you in this room think of a specific moment, a specific memory in your life where you feel like you experienced like true joy? Can, can you guys think of something like, these one of like the happiest moments of your life where like you look back, like maybe it's like something like when you were like a little kid, something in your childhood growing up where it's like, when I look back on that moment, it's like, that was like, if joy ever had like a definition, it was that moment. Are, are you guys tracking me? Are, like, do you guys have that moment in your head? I, I know for me, there's a specific, a specific moment that I remember. It's actually around Christmas time. Some of you guys have probably heard this story and seen this video before, so bear with me. It's like, it's my favorite thing to watch because it's like takes me back, and like especially around Christmas time, makes me feel all warm and fuzzy and like, oh, cute. Okay, so, so when I was about five years old, everyone say five. So imagine like little me, you'll see little me in just a second. So, so you got little me, uh, five years old, I, I grew up loving the drums. Anyone here play drums? Come on, I see you, Bear. I see you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see you, Brewer. Okay, okay. Sweet, sweet. We got some female drummers. Come on. We need you, we need you to play in the church. I feel like there's no female drummers in the church ever. I want there, I want there to be. Anyways, anyways, but so I grew up loving drums. Like, I remember going over to, to a, like my family called Big Church, like, and watching the drummers over there and just being like, I want to do that one day. Like, I, th- I always thought it was so, so cool. So, so then there, there came this moment on, on Christmas Eve in 2006. None of y'all were alive in 2006, were you? Cap, 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 lies. Ashley and Lindsay got me. Okay, and Jacob's got me. Okay, but there, there comes this moment on December 24th. 2006, and it's, it's Christmas Eve. We, we got home from Christmas Eve service. My grandparents were in town, and, and we, we would have the tradition growing up. I don't know when or why we stopped this, but we did. But growing up when we were little, we would open like one present on Christmas Eve. Any of y'all do that? Yeah, yeah. okay. So, so we'd open one present on Christmas Eve. And, and now some of you, let me, let me, let me take a, a quick poll. Who of you guys, like, if you get to open one present, or, like, it's Christmas Day and, like, you're opening your first present, who likes to go from, like, what you think will be, like, the smallest or the least to the greatest? It's like your last present is the best one. Hold up your hand if that's you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good amount of you. And then how many of you, I got, I got you, bro, I'm coming for you. How many of you, you open the biggest present first, and then, like, by the time you get to, like, the last one, you're like, I don't even care. Like, I got this one. Is that any of you guys in here? Yeah, yeah, okay, a few of you. That's, that was me growing up. So, so I'd always want to open the biggest, like, birthday, or the, the biggest Christmas present on Christmas Eve for my first one. But, but little sneaky Mateo decided to be a little bit rebellious as a five-year-old. Sin nature lives inside of me even as a five-year-old. Okay, so, so I decided to be a little rebellious. And I, and I snuck downstairs, down, down to where my grandparents stayed. And, and, you know, if you walk down, like, you know, like, if mom or dad like, got door closed like, on Christmas time, like, they're wrapping presents. Like, if you go in, it's like, you may not get any presents. Like, you live with that fear inside of you. Is that just me? No? No? Okay, okay, okay. So, so I go in, and I go downstairs, and I'm like, I can hear wrapping paper. Like, you know, like, just the sound that wrapping paper makes when you're wrapping presents. Yeah. So, like, I, I, hear, I hear it in the room. And I, like, I don't know, I had this feeling that was, like, if I, if I look right now, I want to see something, like, like really exciting, like a present that I really, I really, really want to get. So, so I opened the door, and what did I see? It was a little drum set. It was a drum set. And so then, like, my grandma looks around, and she's like, Mateo Daniel, like, get upstairs. And I was like, oh, no, no. And so, of course, then, like, they try to wrap it, but I already knew what was coming. So, of course, the first present I chose on Christmas Eve, December 24th, 2006, is this. Take a look at the screens for this video. Mr. Jacob, turn off these lights. Turn off these lights.
Can you say, can you say sheer joy? My, my favorite part of that video, looking back, is probably, it's Pastor Victor doing like the Old Town Road. I don't know, like I, got, like I have no idea what he's doing. Like, I don't know, like, looked like a Fortnite dance, but before Fortnite even existed. But like, when I look back on like, to a moment, like, even like, sometimes joy doesn't always look like smile and laughing, but like, true joy is like, is this feeling of like getting lost in the moment. Like, are you, are you guys tracking with me? Like, with, like with, a, with a moment of joy that you've experienced, it's like, when you're experiencing that moment of joy, it's like nothing else exists in the world. Like, I didn't care that my, like, my oldest brother and, like, sister were probably, like, listening to me, like, play drums, like, an hour later. Like, please shut up. Like, you're horrible. I didn't care. I was, like, I, I was lost in the moment because there's so much joy. Everyone say joy. All right. All right. Think of another story. This was when I was a little bit older. Some of you guys, who was, who was alive in 2011? There we go. There we go. There we go. Okay. So I was, like, I was your age in 2011. At 11, and some of you guys are going to be like, after this story, like, can you just preach the word? I will. But for some of you, you're going to be like, this is the coolest story ever, okay? Maybe like four of you, okay? So here we go. So here we go. So I, in 2011, once again, it's around Christmas time. It's actually Christmas Day, and, and I went to Dallas, Texas with my family to celebrate Christmas. Anyone, anyone here from Dallas or been to Dallas? Yeah? Like a few of you. My wife is from Dallas. I always trash it, but I'm grateful for the people in that city. <laughs> um, so so it's, it's Christmas Day, 2011. 11, and so we're, we're staying at my grandma's house. She makes some, some bussin' chorizo tacos. I don't know what chorizo is. Yeah, okay, a few of you guys. It's this Mexican, like, sausage. So good. My grandma makes it. Oh, it's, it's real good. Oh, I'm thinking about it. Okay, so, so she's making chorizo tacos. It's a good Christmas morning. And, and so my, my parents call my oldest brother, Augustine. I don't know if you guys knew. I had, like, an older brother. He's almost 30. He's old and stuff. You've probably never seen him. But his name's Augustine. And so my parents call Augustine and I into their room. And so we come into the room, and they're like, hey, mom's distant, once removed something aunt decided like, to give you guys money for Christmas. So we went ahead, and we bought you tickets to go watch the Dallas Mavericks and Miami Heat NBA game on Christmas Day. Okay, who won? I'll tell you. I'll tell you. So, so let, let, me, let me paint some history right here. Probably like 99% of you are not going to care about the story. But for the 1%, I love you. You got me. I, ah, there's a connection. Okay. So, so, so like so in, 20, in 2011, quick basketball history. I'm a huge sports nerd. Okay. So in 2011, there's something called the NBA lockout. Everyone say lockout. Some of you are like, what is that? Let me explain. Okay, there's the NBA lockout, which basically meant that the players wouldn't play games because of, like, rules in the league and stuff that, that, that they wanted changed. And so the very first game of the season, what day did it hit on? Christmas Day. So, the, like, the very first game of the season that, like, we were so stoked for, like, my, my family grew up, like, I, I've watched hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of basketball games in my life. Okay, so, so it's, like, the very first game, but not only is it the first game, but in 2011, back in, like, June or July, the Mavericks and the Heat had played in the NBA Finals. Now, quick history lesson as well for some of you guys that like LeBron James. It's really hard to keep track of, like, what team he's played for because he's played for, like, 18 different teams, like, in, like, five years. But at this point, he was on the Miami Heat. So in 2011, it's the NBA lockout. was the first game of the season. It's Heat versus Mavericks. It's a finals rematch. The Dallas Mavericks are getting their championship rings. Still, like, most of you don't even care, but I don't care. So it's like they're getting their championship rings. But then the game starts, and it's like LeBron James and Dwayne Wade. Do you guys know who Dwayne Wade is? My guys, my guys. I'm talking like a few of you. I got you, Hawking. Okay, so it's like LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and the Heat absolutely crushed the Mavericks which I was happy about because I hate the Mavericks. I'm a San Antonio Spurs fan. Once again, probably none of you care. But I remember during this game, is when I look back on like some of the best memories of my life, moments where that just, just felt like the definition of joy, my brother and I were just going crazy, like losing our minds. Like every time LeBron would like throw down a dunk on like Dirk Nowitzki or something, like we, we would lose our mind. And it's like, you know you're really like losing your mind when like someone just saw the exact same thing happen and you look at them and you're like, bro, did you see that? It's like, obviously, like, they're right there with you. But still, it's like, you have to just, like, say something because it's so amazing. Are you guys tracking with me with thinking about, like, that feeling of, of being overjoyed? Are you guys tracking with me? 
Okay. Okay, so, so when, I, when I think about joy, what we see actually in Scripture is that Scripture is full of, uh, of the word joy. Everyone say joy. It's full of, of the word joy. Sometimes it says that the people had great joy. Or sometimes I, I was like starting to count during my sermon prep. I got to like 300 times when the word rejoice happened. And I was like, I'm done adding up stuff. Like I didn't, I didn't become a youth pastor to do math. But it was like over 300 times in the Bible, there's the command to rejoice. Everyone say rejoice. It's just the, the verbal form of joy. We see that, that the people of God rejoice. When, when they cross the Red Sea or after God does a miracle, they rejoice. Everyone say rejoice. Look at your neighbors some excitement and say rejoice. Well, there's also, we see in Scripture that it says that God rejoices. That, that God rejoices when, when a sinner repents and, and turns to faith in Jesus. Or, or God, we, we see that even God has joy. He expresses joy. We see this hundreds and hundreds of times in the Bible. But just like when we talked about hope and peace, maybe our definition of the word joy that we use in our world today is very different than, than the word joy used in Scripture. Just everyone listen, listen. Everyone listen. You guys track with me? Like We talked about this, this with hope, with, with, with the Hebrew word yachal. Everyone say yachal. And then we had the word for peace, which is shalom. Everyone say shalom. Look at your neighbor and say shalom. Shalom, Ruthie. Uh, so, so like we talked about like these two words, but what we, what we saw as we, as we studied what those things look like in the person of Jesus and in Scripture, shh, is this. That how the world defines hope is radically different than what biblical hope is, Right? And what, what the world defines as, as peace is, is wildly different than what Scripture defines as peace. And in the same way, how Scripture defines joy is completely countercultural to what we see joy as in 21st century North, or North America. I guess we do live in North America. Like United States of America Christians. Like how, how we view it is probably very different than Scripture. I want, I want you to write this down. I want us to, to contrast what maybe the difference between biblical joy is and then happiness. Because really, really, I think how, how people use the word joy in our modern day and age, it's really just, this, they really just mean happiness. Someone say happiness. Like, like we talk about happiness, like there's like a pursuit of happiness as, as Americans that like we're supposed to try to, 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 per, to pursue that, to like to live the dream life, like have money and like have everything, like a bunch of houses, a bunch of cars, like all that stuff. That's what happiness looks like. Or, or maybe we think that the happiness is like everything going right in my, in my life, right? Like, like I got tons of friends, like I'm crushing it, like my sport, I'm crushing it with this instrument, I, like, like everything is, is good, so I'm happy. Or, or maybe sometimes it's, it's attached to a feeling of like a feeling good or it's attached to, it's often attached to those things. But here's the reality, friends, is that, is that happiness is super fragile. Everyone say fragile. Worldly happiness is, is so fragile. Like you, you guys have experienced this in your life. You've probably experienced it today. Like you can be having a great day, like everything's great. And then like in one moment, like your sibling can irritate you and it's like all happiness that you felt like is gone. Like have you guys ever experienced that? Nah, you guys love your siblings too much. Adri doesn't. She said, oh yeah, I experience that all the time. No, but like, like we, like we, that's such a common thing for us that we can be feeling happy on any given day and in an instant, it's so fragile and my happiness can be turned to like, Life, life sucks. Like I'm super angry. Or like I, I remember this when I was once again five years old. All my five-year-old stories are just coming out in my memory right now. I don't have like a ton. I don't know how many people do remember a ton about five years old. But these are like the two main stories. I, I was talking to some of my friends about this the other day. I remember my five-year-old birthday party, and we went to Mr. Biggs. Has anyone ever heard of Mr. Biggs? I know Ruthie's got me. I know Ashley Cole's got me. Okay, maybe a few of you guys. It was like an arcade in the springs, and then it closed down. It was devastating. It was a super cool place. But, but Mr. Biggs was like the most goaded arcade. I loved it. So, so as a five-year-old, I went there for my birthday party. And the whole reason I wanted to go there was to beat the specific Star Wars game. Who loves Star Wars in here? Come on. Come on, my people, my people. Whoever said I don't. I struggle with you, but I love you. Okay, okay. So, so uh, there's, there's a specific Star Wars game where it's like you're, you're trying to like go through all the levels and then get to the end and win 
the game, and, and you had like a certain number of lives that you could like respawn so that you could keep playing. Are you guys tracking me so far? I know all my gamers, like you're like, I got you, I got you. If you don't, just try to track with me. So every time like you would, you would like lose a life, you'd have like five lives, and to be able to keep playing, all you had to do was put in a quarter, okay? Like it's like a simple, simple arcade stuff. So, so if you die, you like, you can play another round and like keep going in your progress if you put in a quarter. But you know, being the generous, super generous, godly five-year-old I was, as I'm playing the game, like one of my siblings, I think I always blame stuff on Pastor Victor, like in my childhood. So I won't, I don't remember who it was. So maybe Victor, maybe Michaela, maybe my brother Augustine, but they, they, they needed some, some change to be able to play a game. So I, so I gave them like my, my bag of quarters and like I'm crushing, I'm beating this game. But then what happens? Well, I, I, I die in the game, and what do I need to be able to finish? Like, the last bit of the game is one more a quarter. Very good, Levi. I needed one more quarter. And it was like I was having the best time of my life, like the greatest game of all time with, like, Star Wars. Like, I'm having the best birthday ever to, like, I don't have a quarter. I'm going to lose the game. I just lost the game. Life is despair. Everything, everything is pointless. Why, why do these things happen on earth? Like, like happiness is so fragile. Are you, guys, are you guys tracking with me about how, how worldly happiness can be so easily, easily broken and shattered? But joy, everyone say joy. Biblical joy looks completely different. And this is what I want to talk about is what is, what is true biblical joy? joy. Because this is what I want to tell you guys tonight. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Everyone listen. Everyone listen. Everyone listen. Go ahead and settle with me. Everyone listen. I'm looking at you guys. Come on. What I want to encourage you guys with is this. That what we find our hope and our peace in is directly tied to what or who we look to for our joy. What we, what we find our hope and our peace in it is directly tied to what or who we try to find joy in. This is why over the last few weeks we, we talked about hope and, and peace. And, and we, we sought out to see how does Jesus offer and fulfill true hope, true peace. Not, not a worldly type that's easily, easily broken and, and, and that fades and that changes. But what is true hope? What is true Peace. And what I want to tell you guys is what you place your hope in, what you find your peace in, is directly tied to what you will find your joy in. Are you guys tracking me? Are you guys tracking me? Give, give me a head nod if you're tracking me, okay? So that's, that's what I want to present to you guys. So we're going to go through a bunch of scriptures, and then we'll land on just three simple points about joy as believers. But go ahead and bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that during this season of Advent, we get to stop, we get to look back on the fact that you have sent your son Jesus for us. I thank you, Jesus, that you coming to earth changes literally everything about our lives. That without the truth of, of Advent, you coming as a baby and without the promise of you coming back to establish your kingdom, to make all things right, we have no hope. We have no peace. We have no true joy that surpasses just momentary, fragile feelings and, and circumstances. So, Father, I pray over my friends in this room this evening. Help us to, to listen to your voice. Help us to engage with what you're wanting to speak to us, with what you're wanting to do in us. For those who, who need joy in their life today, would they be able to find it in you tonight? For those in need of, of a true revelation of the fact that they are loved in you, tonight would you speak that to them? So come, Holy Spirit, have your way in us. We're not here to mess around. We're not here just to go through the motions. I thank you that your spirit is here and that you want to speak to us. So it's the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. If you have your Bibles, I want to pick up in a passage we have read a few times over the last few weeks in Isaiah chapter 9. It will be up on the screens Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to start in verse 1 this time to give us some context and read through verse 7. 
go ahead and turn there in your Bibles if you have them. Isaiah 9, verse 1. It says, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Some of you guys are like, Zebahu and Naphtali, what? Just remember the first part, but there will be no gloom. If you have your Bible, underline that, no gloom. Verse 2 says this, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its, what's that word? What's that word? You have increased its. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Verse 4. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping, trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. I'll go back and explain some of these verses in a second. But here comes verse 6, the promise of a Messiah that we've been reading over the last few weeks. No one talking right now. Shh. Verse 6, for to us a child is born and to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it. With justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So, so what is happening in this passage? If, if you've ever read the beginning of the book of Isaiah, you know that when you pick up this story, you find some, some really dark times. You find, you find that the people of God are not being faithful to God. They're, they're living in idolatry. They're living in sin. They're breaking the law and the commandments. They are, they are there purposely walking away from the Lord. And so in, in, these initial, in these initial chapters, what happens is, is God is telling them, hey, because you have walked away from me, there's going to be punishment that comes to you. There's going to be exile by the Babylonians or by the Assyrians. And there's these promises of, of gloom that is going to come. Everyone say gloom. It sounds like a nice, like, imagine, like, super foggy day, no fun, just, like, the sadness resting. There's going to be great gloom because of the people's sin. But then what, is that? what happens? We see in verse 1, but there will be no gloom. And then it leads into verse 2 saying, the people who walked in darkness, everyone say darkness, have seen a great light. Everyone say light. And those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. We see light as a picture for this following verse. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. Everyone say joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. I don't know how many of us are, how many of us are farmers. I live in an apartment, not, not a farm. But imagine, like, at harvest time, the hard work you've been doing, like, all year, you finally get to have, like, some good corn, some good fruit. Like, imagine the rejoicing of, like, all this hard work. It's, like, finally, like, you get some good food. Yeah, I, I heard my homie. It's corn. Yeah, yeah. So it's, like, imagine, like, there's this joy that comes when you can finally eat of all the hard work you've been putting. And then verse 4, pay attention to this. It says, for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken on the day of Midian. This is a picture of the hard work and the slavery that was caused by the exile. The, the harsh demands of the people that go out into Babylon and they, they have to work these long hours and be, and be in captivity and slavery. God is promising that that hard work will be broken, that they will no longer be slaves. And in the following verse, there's this promise that everything used for war will, will be burnt as fuel for the fire because there's going to be no more wars. There will be true peace, true shalom. Everyone say shalom. So that is what's happening in this verse is in the anticipation of the Messiah coming with the promise that to us a child would be born. There's, there's this picture of light coming in to the world. I want you guys to, to keep that in your mind. There's this, this picture of light coming into the world and getting rid of the darkness. Go ahead and look at, at John chapter 1 with me now. John, John chapter 1, if you have your Bible, you can flip to the New Testament. It's the fourth book in the New Testament. And this is where we pick up in John chapter 1, one of the most beautiful passages in Scripture. 
it says this. It says, in the beginning was the word. This mean, this, this word, the word, means Jesus, the capital W, the word of God. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him, in Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. Everyone say the light. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness. And pay attention to this, pay attention. Shh, no one talking. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Go ahead and skip forward to, to verse 14. It's the next page. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So what we see in this passage is that John is writing about the person of Jesus. And he's writing about Jesus and the fact that this, the, the word, Jesus, would become flesh, a.k.a. what we look back to and remember during Advent. Everyone say Advent. We look, we look back and we remember the fact that Jesus has become a baby. He came to earth for you and for me to live his human life, to give his life on the cross. And so, and so it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And Jesus, Jesus the word becoming flesh means that the light comes into the world of darkness. Are you guys tracking me? Are you guys tracking me? Yes, yes. Are you guys tracking me? I'm like, ask, you guys can respond. Are you guys tracking me? Yes? Okay, cool. Go ahead and look at one more passage with me. Luke chapter 2. And then we're going to kind of land this plane. I'm, I'm setting, setting everything up. All right. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. This is a familiar passage for some of us, a, a classic Christmas read. Verse 8 says this. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Well, duh. You're, like, hanging out with your sheep, and, like, you're, like, shepherd homies. And all of a sudden, like, there's this bright light, like an angel comes out of nowhere. I'd be terrified, okay? I, I'm, I don't know about you guys, but I would. They were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. That's nice. I would want to hear that if an angel came out of nowhere. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Everyone say great joy. Of great joy that will be for all the people. And pay attention here. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. If you have, if you have your Bible, I want you to underline that. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. If you're taking notes, just, just write that next to, to Luke 2. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and, and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. What we see in these passages is that when Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one of Israel, when he shows up to earth, I think we got some distracted people. I need you guys to pay attention. Don't be looking back. You don't need to be talking to your neighbor. Keep looking up here, all right? What we see during this time, in this, during this, this first advent, we see that there is this promise that a child would come, a, a Messiah, a Savior, who would make all things right. And what we see is that when this child comes, there will be great joy. Everyone say great joy. And so what we see is that when Jesus arrives as Savior, as Messiah, as when Jesus arrives, which is what we look back to and remember the first advent, the first coming of Jesus, him coming as the Christ, as the Messiah, we look back and we remember the joy that it means that Jesus has come. I want to suggest to you guys three simple reasons why we have true joy as believers. If you're taking notes, I want you to write these down. Number one, ever say number one. We find our joy in what Jesus has done. We find our joy in what Jesus has done. This is what we do as, as believers today when we gather together. And I want you guys to hear this. Some of you guys, you just show up to youth group, you just show up to church, and like maybe you know like you're supposed to do it, or like yeah, it's like the Christian thing to do. But this is why we gather as the people of God. 
is we come together and we worship and we, we, we break down the word of God and we ask the spirit to speak to us. And, and as we come together, we remember. I would say remember. We, we remember what Jesus has done. And you see, we, we as believers, we have true joy because of what Jesus has done for us. I, I want to hit on this a little bit later, but, but we as Christians, we're able to look back and remember, hey, we have a Messiah, a Savior, who left heaven, who, who could have stayed in heaven and let all of us die and go to hell. I know that's like dark, but that's the reality of the gospel. Like, if Jesus didn't come, which he didn't have to, and if Jesus never came into the world, we would all live without hope. We'd all live without joy. We'd have nothing to live for. Life would be pretty purposeless. Like, you live a few years here on earth, and then, like, you die, and that was that. And that's, there's no true hope or joy in that. But we, as Christians, we are able to look back and find joy in what Jesus has done. And this is what we remember during Advent, that the light has come into the world. Number two is that we find our joy in what Jesus will do. We find our joy in what Jesus will do. Everyone say will do. This implies future, right? I said this at the beginning, but what we find our hope and our peace in. Everyone say hope and peace. What we find our hope and our peace in is directly attached, is directly tied to who or what we will try to find our joy in. Now, friends, hear me tonight. Hear me, hear me. The reason why I'm so passionate about breaking this down and talking about how Jesus is our hope, how Jesus is our peace, how Jesus is our joy is because of this. I've lived enough life, I've seen enough people grow up in the church, and as they go into their high school years, even during their junior high years, as they go into their college years, I see so many people, they try to find their hope, their peace, their joy in things of this earth. And guess what? That doesn't last. That never, never lasts. I feel like I've said like a hundred times the last few weeks, but I want you guys to get this. That if you are, what, you, what you're looking for, for hope, or what you're, you're, you're going to to find peace for yourself, if, if those are the things that you try to find your joy, and if it's anything besides Jesus, guess what? One day, it'll fail you. One day, it'll, it'll fall short. One day, that person that you've depended on, that's been your everything, whether it's a group of friends or like a boyfriend or girlfriend, whatever it is, like, like that person one day like, like won't be there for you. Like if you, if you find your joy in the fact that like, you're the best athlete in your school, guys, pay attention. Come on, calling you guys higher, pay attention. I don't want anyone talking anymore. I don't want to have to call you out by name. Okay, everyone pay attention. If you're trying to find your joy in how good you are at something. One day, that'll go away. One day, you will fail. And if what you've been trying to find your joy in is all based in yourself or, or circumstances that you can control or even in feelings of happiness, those things will not last. But as believers, we can find true joy. Everyone say true joy. We can find true joy in knowing what Jesus will do. We, we talked about this last week where we have first, the first advent, the first arrival where Jesus came as a baby and he grew up and he lived his life and gave his life on the cross and rose again. But we also look forward to Jesus' second coming, right? The second advent. I'm going to say second advent. We look forward to Jesus coming back and making all things right. And the reality is that, that we as believers, we can find joy today knowing that everything we go through, every bit of suffering, every bit of pain, all the difficulty in our life. I have joy today because I know that one day my king is going to come back and make all things right. The injustice that happens in our world, it's everywhere. Open, like if you open your eyes, if you look around your school, like there's injustice everywhere. There's bullying, there's racism, there's division, there's, there's, there's people just trying to like hang out with, like with the popular kids and, and be, being mean to like other people. Like there's injustice in your school, there's injustice in the world we live in, there's death, there's brokenness. 
And friends, there's no way we can live with true joy unless we remember that we can find joy today in knowing that Jesus will make all things right. Amen? Amen. Number three, it's the last thing, is that we find our joy in God's joy. This might sound a little trippy to you. We find our joy in God's joy. Lindsay, you can go ahead and come on up for, for worship. Jacob, I just have a pad that's playing. You can, you can I guess you can clap for my wife. <laughs> All right. Everyone's talking to me for a few more minutes, a few more minutes. Everyone look at me. We're not done yet. Sorry, Ashton. <laughs> not yet, not yet. I want to look at a passage in Zephaniah 3. Some of y'all are like, Zephah who? Yeah, that's in the Bible. Zephaniah. It's one of the minor prophets. All right, everyone track with me. Everyone track with me. Zephaniah 3, verse 15. I'll wait for Jacob to go and put it up on the screen. Lindsay, you can put the, the pad on. Jacob, you can get that passage. Sweet. Zephaniah 3, 15. Lean in with me, guys, for a few more minutes. It says, the Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. The Lord is in your midst. That sounds a lot like the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Lord is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. That's good news for us tonight. Verse 16, on that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, fear not, O Zion. Let, let not your hands grow weak. And pay attention to verse 17 here. This is beautiful. It says, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. What is what is this passage saying? What is this passage saying? What we see here is, says, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. Everyone say save. A mighty one who will save. A savior that we see come to earth in Luke 2 like we just read. There's great joy because of this reality that a savior is born, that a savior has come into the world. And, and what this says, it says, it says, he, as in God, will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult. That's another word for rejoice or to have joy. He will exult over you with loud singing. This is what this passage is saying. Everyone look at me. Everyone look at me. I want you guys to hear this. He will rejoice over you. He will exult over you. You want to know something that we can take joy in as believers? That God rejoices when we are saved. That, that God the Father, like big G God, like creator of all things, like that God, he rejoices when we are saved. He, he rejoices when we give our lives to him. Luke 15 tells us this. There's, there's these stories of, of, of a shepherd who loses one sheep, and, and he has a hundred sheep, but, but he leaves the 99 to find the one. And, it's, and, and Jesus says, in the same way, there will be much rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. And then, and then we see the story of, of a woman who, who, she has ten coins, and she loses one of these coins, and so, and so she goes after to try to find this one coin, and Jesus says the same thing. In the same way, there will be much rejoicing. Everyone say rejoicing. There will be much rejoicing over one sinner who repents. And friends, hear me tonight. God the Father literally rejoices over when you give your life to Jesus. Like, like when you first gave your life to Jesus, if, if you have done that, like if you are a believer in Jesus as your Savior, when you first like surrendered your life to him, like God the Father rejoiced over you. 
like, like the type of rejoicing like that we can't even we can't even fathom. But like, think about like one of those happiest moments of your life, one of those moments where you felt like you felt such joy, like like five year old me just playing the drums and like not caring about anything else in the room because it was like I was overjoyed. Or like 11-year-old me going to watch LeBron James just like destroy the Mavericks. Like this moment of like nothing else even matters because like look at this. Like you look at that, that one moment and what God the Father does is that when you give your life to Jesus, he looks at you and he's like, Aaron, let's go. Like he rejoices over the fact that it's like when you give your life to him, he is moved with joy. Look at, look at this passage with me. Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, near the end of the New Testament, near the end of your Bible. This verse is so beautiful. And it says this. Hebrews 12, verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, in the context, what, what has come before this passage is a list of men and women of God who, who have lived with great faith. And so the author of Hebrews is saying, be encouraged based on these people. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance, endurance the race that is set before us. Pay attention here. Looking to Jesus. Everyone say, looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Friends, hear me tonight. Pay attention, pay attention. I just got a few more minutes. As I was reading this, I was reading that passage in Hebrews 12. I, I thought of it this morning and I was honestly thinking like, what, is, what does this passage really mean? Let us, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. I don't know if you guys know anything about like the cross or like the death that Jesus dies, but guess what? Like in our understanding, like there ain't nothing joyful about that. Like some of you guys have maybe seen like, like the movie, like The Passion or like different depictions of like the crucifixion that Jesus goes through. And like, when you watch those movies, like I, anytime I watch The Passion of the Christ, I literally, I just sit there and I weep. I just, I just cry because I realize that, that everything that Jesus really did, everything that Jesus really experienced, like, like this actually happened. Friends, hear me now. Brothers and sisters, please lean into this. Pay attention. Hebrews 12.2 says, let us, let us look to Jesus, the author and, uh, author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Who for the joy that was set before Jesus, he decided to give his life for you and for me. For the joy that was set before Jesus. He, we, we see this account in, in John 17. We, we talked about Jesus' last like, upper room teaching to his disciples last week. He, he says, you know, my, my peace I give to you. Even, he even says, I, my, my joy I give to you. I mean, that's, that, that my joy, that your joy may be full in me. In the next chapter, we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Some of you know this story. You, you have Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he is crying out to God the Father saying, Lord, if there's any other way, would you take this cup from me? In other words, Jesus saying, Lord, if there's any other way that humanity can be saved, if there's any other way that 
that their sins can be forgiven, that all things can be made right. Would you, would you do it? Jesus is in such anguish. He's sweating drops of blood. The amount of stress, the amount of fear, the amount of anguish that Jesus feels because he's about to go and take on the cross. And then we, we see throughout various accounts in the gospel that, that Jesus, he is he's betrayed by one of his disciples, one of his best friends. Like if you've been hurt by someone, hear me tonight, like Jesus knows what it's like to be hurt by someone. Like one of his 12 closest friends, he went everywhere. Like they had the coolest memories ever. They like road tripped everywhere, they, like went boating together, like, they did all the stuff. And one of those friends betrays Jesus, gives him up so he can get a little bit of money. So Jesus is betrayed. And then we see Jesus is falsely accused. And we see that Jesus, he, he is flogged. He is, he is whipped with this whip that has metal and glass and bones in it to literally rip his flesh off of his back. Jesus bleeding out. Scars all over his body. Exposed flesh all over, ripped open. Then they, they put a crown of thorns into his brow. Imagine the excruciating pain. Thorns just digging into your skull. Blood dripping down his face. Blood dripping down his back. Then he has to carry his cross up a mountain to be suffocated on the cross. Who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What, what does that mean? That Jesus, Jesus chose to go through the literal hell on earth that he, that he endures. For Jesus to go through the pain and the suffering that he goes through. Why does he do it? For the joy set before him. So what, what is this joy that's set before Jesus? I think the joy set before Jesus was having his people in mind. Saying, Lord, if there's any other way that, that you can bring reconciliation, you can bring forgiveness to your people, do it. But if not, not my will be done, but your will be done. And this joy that's set before Jesus is accomplishing the will of the Father, which is this. To offer forgiveness to you to me. Like, the joy that is set before Jesus, this isn't no happy feeling, this isn't based on circumstances, this isn't because Jesus was like, I'm the son of God, I just won't feel any pain. Like, no, Jesus was also fully man when he came, that's why he came as a baby. Like, he feels all the pain and the suffering, and it's the joy set before Jesus. And he says, I want Sam to have the opportunity to know me. I want, I want Hawken to have the opportunity to know me. Because without Jesus, without, without Jesus giving his life on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins, you have no chance. Before time ever existed, God, God looked and knew that, that there would be this young woman, Noella. God said, the, the joy set before him is offering salvation, saying, Noella, I want you to know that you're my daughter. So I'm going to give myself for you. I want you guys to feel the weight of this tonight. That the gospel, that even what Advent represents is not just some cute Christmas story. That's not at all what it is. I'd even dare say that, that joy isn't just like a nice, warm, like Christian-y thing. Some of you guys are like, dang, this is, like a, this is dark and heavy for a message on like Jesus' joy. It is a little bit. But I am, I am convinced that the only joy 
that actually means something. It's the joy that is found in Jesus. Because you know what happens when I look at the fact that it is the joy set before Jesus that makes him endure the cross. You know what that means for you and for me? It means that we are so loved by God that he gave his one and only son for us. That you are so valuable to him, not because of anything you do, not because of anything you say, not because of like you being a really good Christian. You're so valuable to him because you're his creation. And he wants you to know him. He wants you to know that he endured the cross because there's joy that he could look to. That the joy of the Father was found in the fact that you and I could actually know him. So this is what we're going to do tonight. We're going to respond in a, a little a Christmas carol. And we're going to sing this, this simple song, oh, oh Come, Let Us Adore Him. Now as we sing this song, this is what I want to invite you guys into. That tonight, if you feel the Holy Spirit stirring your heart, if you feel this invitation from, from the Lord to be, of like, wow, I can have joy today because I know, like, I am so loved by a God that it was literally joy that led him to taking on, like, the worst punishment on earth. Like, like if, that, if that hits you this evening or if just the reminder of it, it's beautiful to you, I want you to sing this song of worship. Like, you're singing directly to Jesus who has given you his life so that you can have joy that you can have contentment, so you can have this deep assurance that you are loved and valuable that far outweighs any other type of joy. Can we stand up together? Go ahead and stand up and come up here. Come up here. We're going to sing this song together for just a few minutes and then we're going to have a great time eating some food that we got for you. Just wait, just wait. And enjoying, enjoying time together. So friends, go ahead and lean in with me. Let's go ahead and worship together. <laughs> 